Our text this morning is Psalm 91. Please take your copy of the scriptures, open them up, lay them in your lap, follow along as I preach to you and compare my words with the words of God. We don't know who the author is of Psalm 91. It's been supposed that it could be Moses. There's some evidence for that, but the fact is we just don't know. But what we do know is this, that the text that we're about to read together is the absolute truth of God given to his people for their good and for his glory. Mr. Spurgeon said of this psalm, he said, there is not a psalm that brings more cheer to the people of God. He that lives in the spirit of this text will be fearless. Listen to that. Mr. Spurgeon said, he that lives in the spirit of this text will be fearless. I'd like for that to characterize my life. My friends, we live in a fallen world. We battle the world and the flesh and the devil daily. If all we have is this world and what it has to offer, there is very much to inspire fear in us, I'm afraid. I want to ask you this morning before I read this text, what do you fear? It seems to me that each and every one of us fears something. Many of us fear a lot of somethings. It may be as simple as something that goes bump in the night. It could be that you fear death, not only your own, but that of your loved ones. It could be illness and sickness and suffering that you fear. The loss of riches or poverty. Maybe you're in fear for relationships of your own. It may be your marriage. It may be your relationship with your parents. It may be your relationship with your children. There are some here this morning that fear shame. Shame of things that we have done. There are some here that live with unspeakable shame of things done to them. There are some of us here that fear our past becoming made known. There's some here that fear future, the unknown. There's some that fear persecution, even for naming the name of Christ. Undoubtedly, there are some here this morning that still fear the judgment of Almighty God. And the most powerful of all created beings is arrayed against us. Those of you that do not know Christ are under the domination and the control of the devil. But for those of us that have experienced the new birth, God has delivered us. What is it that you fear this morning? Well, the purpose of the sermon this morning from Psalm 91 is to glorify our Most High God and to comfort and encourage His people. I pray that this morning, in the next 30 minutes, we will glorify our God together. And from this text, God will comfort and encourage His people. Notice I said His people. The primary thrust of my sermon this morning is to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Not unbelievers, not even those that have professed faith in Christ but do not know Him, but men and women and boys and girls that have experienced the new birth by the grace of God have been given a new heart, have been given repentance, have been given faith in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal God made flesh, that He did leave His home, that He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin by the power of the Spirit, that He did lead a sinless life that he died a substitutionary, sacrificial death upon the cross, was laid in a borrowed tomb, but death could not hold him. On the morning of the third day, after midnight and before sunrise, he arose, was seen by more than 500 of his disciples at one time. He's ascended to the right hand of Almighty God, where he lives 
to make intercession for me and you, my brother in Christ, and from where he is coming again soon and very soon to judge the living and the dead. If that is the bedrock of your life, if you've experienced God's grace, if he has given you faith in that, then this message is for you this morning. As we look at the text, we'll see three things. Verses 1 and 2 are going to talk to us about the nature of the Most High God. Verses 3 through 13 tell us about the character of the eternal, self-existent God. And the last three verses is God speaking, and it tells us about the commitment of the all-powerful God for the salvation of His people. So, I've said enough introductory. Let's look at the text. We'll pray, and I'll make a few comments. Psalm 91, beginning in verse 1, the Scriptures tell us, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful and thankful for this text. We pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of it to your glory and for the good of your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 and concentrate upon the nature of the Most High God. The nature of the Most High God. As we read 1 and 2, we see that the psalmist tells us that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High God, the Most High God, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We're given four identifiers of whom it is that the psalmist is speaking here. The Most High, the Almighty Lord, it is His God, my God, he says. When he says the Most High, he is, he is ascribing to our God the most high position that He can occupy. He is the supreme sovereign of the universe. The Almighty God possesses absolute dominion. He is the unrivaled ruler of the entire universe, and He gives account to no one. He has no rival. His providence is binding upon all of His creatures. He is the supreme authority in this universe. Almighty God. The Most High God. Almighty God, He tells us, when He uses that word Almighty, He speaks about this regarding the Most High God. He has all might. He has unlimited power. He has boundless sufficiency. He cannot be frustrated. And yes, He is the giver of life and the giver of blessings. And He is the dispenser of death and judgment. 
the Almighty God, the God of life, and the God over death. He calls Him Lord, all caps. The translator's way, or the scribe's way of indicating the proper name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah, as He told it to Moses. It simply means that He is the self-existing One. He is without beginning. He is eternal. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, Omega, He has declared the end from the beginning. Almighty God said, My counsel will stand and I shall accomplish all my purpose. The Most High God is the Creator of everything that there is. He is the sustainer of it. He is the redeemer of His people. He is the preserver of His people. He is the judge of the ungodly. Of all beings and all things in this universe, He is the Most High God. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is above and beyond His creation. He is self-sufficient. And the Most High God has no needs. He is the source of all life. He is the source of all truth. The Most High God is the source of all righteousness and the source of all justice. He is the arranger and the appointer of the birth and the death of all men. He is the one who gives salvation and He is the one who casts into hell. Salvation belongs to Him alone. Salvation belongs to Him alone. And my brother and sister in Christ, the Most High God has chosen us. He has chosen to save me. He has chosen to save you. There's nothing in us that is worthy, but in His sovereign grace, before this world ever was, He set His love upon us, and He purposed to save us, to make us His children, brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to form us to His image. Praise God. The nature of God, how does that apply to His people? How does it apply to His people? The psalmist gives us four applications that we can look at. He refers to Him being our shelter and a shadow and a refuge and a fortress. When the psalmist says that, that He is a shelter for us, he's speaking about a hiding place. He's speaking about a, a secret place, a place of protection from, from that which lures us and wounds us and harms us and would destroy us. God is our shelter from the world and the flesh and the devil and yes, from the very judgment of God Himself from the persecution of this world, from the temptations of the flesh, from the charms of Satan, from the sword of God's justice, and from the fire of God's fury, God Himself is the shelter of His people. The Spirit of God through the psalmist tells us that God is a shadow in which we abide. It speaks of shade. Remember Jeff preaching to us about that reluctant prophet Jonah and God brought up that vine and He gave him the shade. We dwell in the shade of Almighty God. It speaks of refreshment. It speaks of being near to Almighty God. My brothers and sisters in Christ, eternal death dwells in the shadow of sin. Eternal death dwells in the shadow of sin, but there is eternal life in the shadow of the Most High God. The psalmist talks about Refuge. He says, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God in whom I trust. Listen to those pronouns. My God. My fortress. My refuge in whom I trust. 
Brothers and sisters, that is true for each and every one of us this morning. Do you claim that? Do you, do you apply that to your life, this gospel, this, uh, this spiritual truth that's in this book? This concept of refuge means that we have a place to retreat from storm and danger. Almighty God is our sacred sanctuary. He is our sacred sanctuary. It is a place where the enemy has no access to us fully and finally. Where there is immunity from the retribution of God on a lost and dying world that He will judge. God Himself is our refuge. He is our fortress. The concept of fortress in this passage speaks of a permanent stronghold. Not just a stronghold, but a stronghold of permanence, one that may not be moved. A fortress is where our safety is secured and where our needs are met. That's the nature of the Most High God. Verses 3 through 13 talk to us about the character of the eternal self-existent Most High God. The character of the eternal, self-existent, Most High God. Nature, the nature of God, that is what He essentially is. Character is that which flows out of His nature. The psalmist tells us, For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge, his faithfulness as a shield and a buckler. Our God is a deliverer and a coverer of us, his people. By God's love and mercy and grace, his people are delivered and covered. But just as true of Almighty God is this, that by His righteousness and His justice and His wrath, the wicked are judged and cast into hell. Look at verse 3. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, uh, the fowler and the deadly pestilence. The word deliver has the idea of being rescued from that fowler, the one who is plotting against you. To snatch away, to save. But at the end of the day, it means to be set free. To be set at liberty. Do you understand that? Our Most High God has given us liberty to serve Him. He has set us free. He has delivered us. He not only delivers, but He covers. The psalmist uses the image in all likelihood, of a mother hen covering her chicks where they find refuge there. The concept of an unconditional love. We can find refuge. God covers us. It carries the idea of overspreading us and intervening on our behalf, hedging us about, putting a fence around us, and yes, even shutting us in. Think about that, being shut in. If that reminds you of anything, it might be in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 6, where the Lord shut Noah in. Come in the ark. And the Lord shut Noah in before he poured out his wrath and vengeance on an unbelieving, rebellious world and put to death 
every one of the rebels with the exception of eight who found grace in his eyes in the ark. Almighty God covers us from the attack of the enemy and he covers us from his very own judgment on this earth. The psalmist tells us that his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. It means that God does this without fail. He is dependable, he is reliable, he is constant. But beyond that, it's all done in accordance with the truth. All that God does is done in accordance with His truth. The faithfulness of God is revealed to us in His truth. Read the Word, my brother and sister. Read the Word of God. But Greg, it's difficult. Yes, it is. But Greg, I don't understand it. I know you don't. I testify to the same thing. But we approach the Word of God with a heart that is submitted to it, with a mind that has been... uh, Uh, been praying to the Holy Spirit of God to control us, to give us illumination, to guide us as we read these scriptures and compare scripture with scripture. There is safety, there is security, there is confidence to be found in the word of God. He is faithful. His truth is always true. Read the word, my brother and sister in Christ, if you would have a shield and a buckler, if you would have a shield that will turn the fiery darts of the devil and a buckler that will blunt the sword of God's vengeance. Spend time in the Word. Learn of God. Learn of His nature. Learn of His character. Submit yourself to His commands and experience the joy of knowing that He shelters you, that you abide in His shadow, that He is your refuge and that he is your fortress. But in these verses, we also see the judgment of God. Now, I just told you that we are protected, we are covered, we are sheltered from the judgment of God. But verses 5 through 8 very, very likely refer to the judgment of Almighty God on this earth that he protects us from. Follow along with me, beginning in verse 5. You will not fear the terror of the night. I can see Moses writing that. I can see Moses writing that. You will not fear the terror of the night. What's the one night that stood out in all of Jewish history? The night that the angel of death passed through the land and took all of the firstborn in Egypt. He said, you have no fear of that. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by the day. God's judgment is often likened unto arrows. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you, Noah. Eight in the ark, and the rest destroyed. Look what God promises here in verse 8. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. My brother and sister in Christ, we started this old life wicked, didn't we? We inherited a sin nature from our Father and we rebelled against the Holy God and we're just as wicked as anybody that God is going to destroy and cast into hell. But we've experienced God's grace. And when that judgment comes, we will only look with our eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. We have been delivered from the sword of God's justice, the judgment of Almighty God. We have been delivered from the wrath of God. But we will see the recompense of the wicked. That word means retribution. And it simply means this, that those that are going to experience that recompense, it simply means that God is going to reward them with the wages of sin that they have earned and they will be cast into hell. The wages of sin is death. If you punch a clock and you work 40 hours at the end of that week, you have every reason to believe that you're going to be compensated for that. You've earned it. You understand that men and women who, 
will be cast into hell. That's just a just compensation of what they've earned in a life of open and willful rebellion against Almighty God. We're protected from that, my brother and sister in Christ. We will look with our eyes and see the recompense of the wicked when God gives them the reward that they have earned, when He fulfills the wages that they have earned. Let there be no doubt who the wicked ones are. They're the guilty ones. That's what it means. They're the guilty ones. They're wicked men with wicked hearts and wicked ways. They do wicked deeds and they live wicked lives, just like you and I did. They are faithless, they are unrepentant, and they are unreconciled to God, not like me and you, my brother and sister in Christ. Almighty God has given us faith. Almighty God has given us repentance. And Almighty God, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, has reconciled us unto Himself. The wicked are faithless and unrepentant and unreconciled to God. If you're here this morning and you're lost and the weight of God is upon you and you recognize and realize that if your heart stops or your lungs never fill once again, if they stretch you out here, that while we're waiting for you to get an ambulance down here, no farther than they have to come, that you're going to stand before a holy God and be cast straight into hell. My exhortation to you is this this morning, my friend, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Here's the contrast for those of us whom God has saved. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil, no evil shall be allowed to fall, befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Does this start to sound familiar? Does it sound like what Satan told the Lord Jesus when he raised him up to the pinnacle of the temple? Told him to cast himself down? For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. This was partially quoted or misquoted by Satan to the Lord Jesus. During the time of his temptation, and Christ replied, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. Yes, the Lord God is telling us that his angels will protect us and will bear us up. Beyond any shadow of a doubt. But the Lord Jesus says that this is not to be used to presume upon the grace of Almighty God. My brother and sister in Christ, when we were living, when we were living outside of the commands of God, when we were living in unrepentant sin, what we should expect is the chastisement of the Lord God upon us to return us to the proper place in our relationship with Him. Do not presume upon the grace of God. Repent. Confess. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what happens then? We experience the protection of Almighty God. That's, that's this character of God applied to us. We, we experience the protection of God. Almighty God commands His angels to guard His people and bear them up. In life, God's angels bear us up, and in death, they carry us into the very presence of our God. Almighty God will not allow us to be overcome by force or fraud. God will not allow us to be destroyed by sin or circumstance. God will not abandon us. He will not neglect us. He will not desert us. He will not forget us. He will not overlook us. And He will not forsake us. We are delivered by the providence, the protection, and the power of our God. The nature and the character of God. Now finally, the third point the commitment of the all-powerful God for the salvation of His people in verses 14, 15, and 16. Here, the Lord is speaking. 
The Lord is speaking to His people. He says in verse 14, Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. Listen to all these I wills. There are six of them in these verses. This is Almighty God, the Most High God saying I will. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. With long life, I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. Praise God. Six times our God says, I will. I will deliver Him. He has undertaken, Almighty God, the Most High God, the self-existent Sovereign God, has undertaken to deliver His people. He says, I will protect Him. He has given His Word to protect you, my brother and sister in Christ. He says, I will answer Him when He calls to me. You see that Almighty God has taken an oath to answer His people. Pray, brother. Pray, sister. Our God is a God of means. How does prayer work, Greg? I don't know. But I know that it does. Pray. God says that He will answer when He calls. Pray. God says... I will be with him in trouble. He has promised to be with us in trouble. He says, I will rescue him and honor him. Almighty God has pledged himself to rescue his people. He has committed himself to honor his people. And then he says, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Almighty God has vowed to satisfy his people. I don't know about you, my brother, and I don't know about you, my sister, but I can tell you I have found very little satisfaction in this life, in this world, in my almost 59 years of walking upon this earth. And the satisfaction I have found is in this word, in this book, in our God, and in his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's going to be very little satisfaction you find at work. I laugh at people that that talk about the fact that they just don't really enjoy their job. Well, guess what? It's a curse. Almighty God has cursed us to earn our bread by the sweat of our brow. If you don't love your job, then read Genesis. It's a curse. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to have a job that you hate. You can enjoy getting up and going and doing the things you do. You can find a challenge. That's not the way it was originally in the garden before Adam sinned against a holy God. Satisfaction is to be found only in Christ. And even though God has given us the new birth, even though God has given us a new nature, we still struggle with the old nature that is within us. We won't see Christ as He truly is until we are just like Him without sin on that day that God calls us home or on that day that He comes to receive us to Himself. God says that He will not only satisfy His people, but that he will show them his salvation. Eternal life is satisfaction. Eternal life is salvation. The Lord Jesus came, uh, he told his disciples that he came in order that we might know God, the word of God, for in him is eternal life. Almighty God has given us his word, he has given his oath, he has given his promise, and his vow to deliver us and save us, my brother and sister in Christ. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. As I read through Psalm 91, I could not help but be impressed that this was written to the people of God before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I read it over and over and over, there were comparisons that came to my mind from the New Testament, specifically and particularly Romans 
chapter 8. I see verse, excuse me, I see Psalm 91. It's just the very beginning of the breaking of the dawn of God's truth that is fully and finally revealed in its full brilliance and full glory in the Lord Jesus Christ and our relationship to God through Him in Romans chapter 8. My brother and sister, the Lord Jesus Christ is the author of salvation. The Father appointed Him to do it. Christ has accomplished it once forever with finality. He has redeemed us. He has bought us out of the slave market of sin. He has reconciled us, which means that He has returned us to our rightful, excuse me, He has returned us to the position that God created Adam in before Adam sinned against the Holy God. The Lord Jesus Christ's work at the cross has forgiven us. His blood was shed. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of the blood. He shed His blood for us. We are forgiven. And Almighty God has justified His people based on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read just a few verses to you from Romans chapter 8 that parallel Psalm 91. These are true of you if you're in Christ. Earlier in the book, Paul told the believers there that they were crucified with Christ. They were dead with Christ. They were buried with Christ. They were raised with Christ. They've been baptized into Christ. They are seated in Christ at the right hand of God. That's true of me. That's true of you, my brother and sister in Christ. Now hear the word of God from Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Shelter and refuge. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. No fear. God is our Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And then that passage that you all know by heart that begins in verse 28. And we know... Not we think, not we hope, not we presuppose. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. All past tense. What then shall we say to these things? Here it is. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Shall distress? No. Shall persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Danger? No. Sword? No. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. My brother and sister, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Paul said, for I am sure, I am certain, I am absolutely rock solid that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the Word of God from Romans chapter 8. Be blessed by it. Worship the Most High God. Take comfort, my brothers and sisters, and be encouraged by the Word of God. He that lives in the spirit of this text will be fearless. Amen. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we are thankful and grateful for the breaking of the dawn that we see in the 91st Psalm. Father, we don't know who you inspired to write it, but we are thankful and grateful that you did. That you